This is the Agent Carter podcast on Defenders TV podcast. Episode 4 of Season 1, The Blitzkrieg Button. Welcome back, Defenders. This is Defenders TV podcast, episode 23, where we will be looking at Agent Carter, episode 4, The Blitzkrieg Button, uh, involving Howard Stark and the regulars from Peggy Carter and Edwin Jarvis. I am one of your hosts, John. And I'm Derek, your other host. This is Defenders TV podcast, episode 23. I yeah, know. Doing, doing that. Cracking through the episodes, really. Cracking through them. Absolutely. Yeah. And what's going to be our 24th? It will be the fantastic 24th episode of, uh, of uh, Defenders TV Podcast, as we're going to the cinema to, again to see Fantastic Four, the new Fox movie based on the Marvel characters. So we thought we'd go out and, uh, and check it out and, uh, and bring you our thoughts. So we're going to see that tomorrow night as we record, so that's the 4th of August, um, and an early preview screening, but uh, we're going to have our podcast up later in the week, and uh, that will be our next podcast. So make sure you let us know your feedback, if you have any thoughts about the, about the movie, if you have any any interest in hearing that podcast you'll hear it coming up uh, you can send your feedback to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com as always uh, you can also follow us on twitter at defenderscast and send your feedback in through there and of course we'll be back as well as regular next week with episode 5 of Agent Carter mm-hmm. and you can find us on www.defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes uh, to listen to us on our weekly podcast of Agent Carter and also uh, Daredevil and some of the Marvel releases this year in 2015. Uh, you can also find us on any other good podcast catcher such as Stitcher or Player FM. Uh, just search Defenders TV Podcast. Absolutely. So just before we get into this episode, we've got a little bit of feedback um, from a listener. Yeah, we got a bit of feedback from Peony Moss on Twitter. Uh, she says, enjoying the podcast. Thank you very much, Peony. Um, she says, one note, Thompson's the one who insults Krasminski as the office idiot uh, in episode three. Um, thanks very much for the feedback, Peony. If you guys do see anything that we've missed or, or I suppose, missaid, uh, make sure you get in contact with us. And I had a look back at episode three, uh, and I was... Slightly correct and incorrect, I suppose. Um, <laughs> the scene I was speaking about was uh, where Zuza is commenting on the fact that uh, that Krasminski's um, not the not the brightest tool in the box. I guess that's uh, probably uh, mixing two metaphors there. Uh, not the sharpest tool in the box. Yes, um, but <laughs> but uh, the other scene, you are absolutely right. Thompson does put down uh, Krasminski as being an office idiot and is told by Dooley not to be that guy. Essentially, uh, so. Both of us are correct, I suppose. Uh, thanks very much for listening, obviously, Peony, and uh, thanks very much for pointing out a little, a little uh, uh, difference, I suppose, in, in what we said and what you'd seen in the episode. But, uh, but yeah, thanks for listening as well. Yeah, thank you, Peony, for for listening. Um, and just remember, any feedback you can send through at DefendersCast uh, on Twitter or feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Uh, so please send in your thoughts and give us your um, ideas, and we're more than happy to discuss them. So with our favourite named episode so far, the Blitzkrieg button, love it, really good, uh, I think it's time to take us on to the synopsis, John. This episode was directed by Stephen Craig and written by Brant Engelstein. Um, so let us know what we got, John. 
Federal fugitive Howard Stark makes an audacious yet secretive return to the USA, smuggled into the country by Edwin Jarvis and Agent Peggy Carter using Otto Mink's smuggling network. However, once smuggled into the USA, Howard is then smuggled back to Carter's women's-only apartment at the Griffith, his most dangerous and tempting mission so far. Meanwhile, as the Strategic Scientific Reserve, the SSR, continue to investigate Howard Stark, Chief Dooley chases a new clue, former Nazi colonel Ernst Muller, all the way to Europe. He visits a German prison to extract information from Muller about the dead Russians and the massacre at the Battle of Finau, where the Germans supposedly massacred a battalion of Russians. As Peggy begins surveillance of the SSR using a camera pen of Howard's own invention, he identifies the primed Blitzkrieg button, a weapon that is deadly, active, and one that Peggy must get back. As she breaks into the laboratories of the SSR to swap out the real Blitzkrieg button for a mock-up, her instincts inform her that all is not right, and Howard and Jarvis have not been telling her the whole truth. Back at her apartment, she confronts Howard, learning that the device has an important piece of her past. As Peggy hides the Blitzkrieg button in her apartment wall, another revelation is revealed across the hallway as Carter's new neighbour, Dottie Underwood, apparently a small-town ballerina from Iowa, is not all who she appears to be. But she does have a great ballerina move, doesn't she? (laughs) Yeah, kick-ass ballerina move. I am sure we'll be talking about that as we go. Well, I think getting on those tippy-toes, you know, strength, agility... Yeah, absolutely. Deadly muscle twitches to cause those spins and pirouettes. Definitely. I'm really intrigued to find out a little bit more about it. Hours and hours in front of the mirror, looking at oneself, going, look how beautiful and gorgeous I am. (laughs) Is that all the ballerina does, is it? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Men and female. Male (laughs) and female ballerinas. Uh, if this is your first episode listening to our Peggy Carter coverage, go back and listen to the other ones as well. But if this is your first episode, the way we cover our shows on Defenders TV podcast is we talk about five points uh, each about the, that stood out about this episode uh, and each episode of the show. Um, so, John, do you want to kick us off with your first point? I am. I'm going to say Dottie Underwood. Who are you and where did you come from? Mm-hmm. Obviously not Iowa. Um, and obviously with that Otto Mink, who she does a little parquet uh, up and up the wall um, and um, straight round his neck with her thighs and a little crack and Bob's your uncle uh, and Dossie's your aunt and uh, <laughs> yeah, Otto Mink's a goner. Yeah. Um, yeah, so supposedly a ballerina for Iowa, you know, very Midwest kind of um, country sounding um Innocent, naive, maybe, is what we've learned to believe so far. But now um, she chucks out the moves. And with a kind of a slight uh, velociraptor twitch of the head as well, decides that she kind of likes Otto Mink's uh, automatic pistol that Mm -hmm. he has in his hands. Um, A little cock of a head to one side. Um, Before you knew it, deadly move uh, executed and he's he's dead on the floor, dragged through and put under the bed um, for another day. Hopefully she's not storing him in a kind of a larder. I hope not. Yeah. I think you might have been watching a little bit too much Hannibal recently, Yeah, maybe, actually. It's beginning to affect me. (laughs) He's just dead. Um, Yeah, this was the most shocking moment so far in the series, really, for me. I wasn't expecting it at all. You made a mention last week about Dottie being the new... 
uh, resident of the Griffith Hotel and that it stood out to you that she was being introduced yeah. around to some of the other characters. But it really didn't get me. I think I, I may have even made the comment that uh, that I thought she was just someone that was lined up for uh, for the residence. But obviously she's now the new neighbour of Peggy, so uh, possibly a bit of a concern. Yeah, um, I think, um, you know, it's just that I want that. She looks at him mm. and sort of then, you know, executes the move. But I think with that, we definitely have to all be friends of Dorothy. Um, <laughs> otherwise, uh, she might kill you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it, it, it was really surprised, particularly because of Minx throughout this episode. The casting of the actor um, and his performance in the show made it look like he was going to be the new big bad. So I was really surprised that I'm being taken out so easily by Dottie. I think. Yeah, you, like he was the, introduced right at the start. You know, he had helped smuggle Howard Stark into the country and Obviously, he'd been slightly double-crossed by Peggy and uh, Jarvis. Um, he was then tracking them down. He'd killed the two guys who were there to make the, the payment and the switch of Howard Stark to Peggy and mm. Jarvis. Killed them because they weren't up to the task and felt they had failed him. Um, and it was being pretty clever, had infiltrated into the Griffith, mm-hmm. and then was taken out in, in one sort of quick move from, yeah. from Dottie. Um, she definitely has got the moves here and I think um, as you say it's like uh, Otto Mink was played by Gregory Sporleader and it's like um, it's one of those faces immediately that kind of pops out at you and you go well I recognise you yeah. um, You know, what have you been in you start looking what was and, well he was in The Rock which is my <laughs> one of my favourite films uh, yes that great uh, movie he was one of the Great's kind shot. of crazy um, uh, army dudes who was trying to actually fire the chemical weapons biological right. weapons into right. San Francisco this is, so, the, this is the Nicolas Cage film and Sean Connery film yeah 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 really really good another um, one of your classics to add to your, to your face collection off. Yes, exactly. Um, I think we have to appreciate some of those mid-90s films. They're fairly underrated, but great entertainment. Uh, Absolutely. But he's one of the army guys that kind of loses it slightly. He's kind of, you know, on the edge and twitchy. Hmm. But he he was also in uh, Being John Malkovich as well. Mm -hmm. And he was in Black Hawk Down as well. So, like, you know, you would have noticed him. Mm. And it is one of those faces that just pops out at you from, from the screen. Yeah, and I do love that you went for the... Rock, rather than being John Malkovich. Uh, (laughs) Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. Uh, That's my classic. You've got to love The Rock. Okay, we may have to. Derek, what's your uh, first point? My first point is also in the Griffith. It's uh, it is the return of Howard Stark, um, who spends some time at the Griffith with uh, with Agent Carter. Uh, I absolutely love Howard Stark's character. I love how they build him up in this episode. You know, we we hear about him being a womanizer right back to um, to Captain America, the first Avenger. Um, you just kind of hear about it, but you don't really see it. You know that he's a billionaire playboy kind of thing, uh, a little bit like Batman, a little bit like Tony Stark, obviously. But this was really shown in this episode when he arrives at the Griffith. And as he's being taken there by Carter, um, she says where she's living and he immediately goes, how's Miriam? Because he clearly has been, has infiltrated the Griffith many times to uh, <laughs> to meet some of the young ladies under under the roof. Um, twice in the episode, he's found in two of the other girls' rooms. He's found with Lorraine. Uh, while um, Peggy is, is really nervous that he's going to be caught by Miriam, he's already snuck into another girl's room to uh, have some a late-night dalliance uh, with her. Uh, and then <laughs> he, he is like a child in a sweet shop. I love it. It's just the mischief that goes across his face. You know, his, his moustache begins to bristle. The possibility and opportunity that this whole um, little 
house and hotel provides for him. Yeah, I love Absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah. And when Peggy comes back from work to bring, after doing all of her work for him, of taking the photographs of the of the um, equipment that's been stolen, uh, she comes back to find him in another girl's room, in Helen's room this time, uh, as Peggy is being introduced to all the members of, uh, of the hotel as his cousin, you know, essentially. So... At least he didn't find his way into Dottie's room, otherwise he could have been uh, well and truly hung out to dry. <laughs> That's true. More, more likely under the bed than on the bed with Dottie. Probably got further with Miriam than he would have with Dottie. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but, uh, but yeah, I just I loved his quips in this episode. I loved his uh, I loved the playboy nature. Finally, seeing a bit of that on, on screen. Absolutely. And uh, you can tell how much uh, how much of an annoyance he is to uh, to Agent Carter in this episode, definitely. Great to see him back. I don't think we're going to see a huge amount more of uh, of Dominic Cooper on the on the series. I believe he's he's in and out of the episodes, but uh, I am delighted that we got it. Definitely a big episode for him this time. So, John, do you want to give your second point? Yeah, it's the gadgets and the weapons. Um, you've kind of alluded to the, you know, the camera pen. I love that. That really kind of 007, James Bond, proper spy, espionage thing going on. And I love the way that Peggy uses it while she's in the, the lab. And she's kind of like going just over the, the shoulder of one of the, the lab attendants as he's going through some of the stuff on the bench, the lab bench. Mm-hmm. And she's just kind of firing, you know, shooting the the camera um, at different points to, to take uh, pictures of all the weapons that were seized um, on the ship in last week's episode. Yeah. And uh, that was just really... I liked that. I think, yeah, when, when they're developing the pictures from from the, the camera uh, pen, she goes, oh, she's inhibited. Um, and Howard goes, the first <laughs> ten pictures are of a very different nature. You know, it's obviously from, from some dalliance that he's had. And as they're developing those pictures... I love that in the, the laboratory in the SSR, you've got the guys in the background and you don't know quite what they're um, maybe investigating in terms of the weapons, but they can. He's one of them is continually getting his forearm on fire. <laughs> one minute the flame's green, one minute the flame's blue, one minute the flame's purple, and one of his colleagues trying to put him out. And you're like, what are, they, what are they playing with here? Really like that. Um, and then, of course, you have the big... Um, the the Blitzkrieg uh, bosom and uh, the fact that you're told initially mm. that it can wipe out all the electrics of New York, that it's active, it's primed, ready to go, unlike any of the other weapons, and that this can have really serious consequences then for New York because he can turn off all the lights but he doesn't know how to turn them all back on. But as well, then, we see that this is a red herring, this is a ruse to um, something entirely different that's housed within that sphere. Yeah, luckily it is. Uh, Peggy Peggy doesn't waste much time. I know she has her suspicions, and she is a good investigator, as we've learned, but uh, she doesn't really waste much time in pressing the button, does she? Uh, Once she doesn't trust Howard, she's just presuming that... Uh, that he's lying to her and there's something hidden within uh, the sphere. But um, very good possibility that maybe he was lying about exactly what the, the button did, that it maybe did something else. But, uh, but yeah, we'll probably talk about that a little bit later on. I'm going to save the, yeah. the Blitzkrieg button, what, I, what actually it is. Uh, I loved some of the little reactions in there um, when he gives the, the camera pen to, uh, to Peggy and her reaction just going, all this for a camera pen, as if she's seen a hundred of them before. Uh, this is the first one ever invented, essentially, but she's not impressed in the slightest by Howard's, uh, Howard's style. Uh, and one other thing I wanted to say about the inventions, um, a little bit of comic book knowledge for you. Um, the first ever issue of uh, of Nick Fury's introduction to S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, 
back in the 60s in uh, issue 135 of Strange Tales, uh, Nick Fury is introduced to S.H.I.E.L.D. by Howard Stark, and he's the one that provides S.H.I.E.L.D. with all their equipment. He's the one that actually set up S.H.I.E.L.D. essentially in the in the original comics. That's been kind of changed a couple of times over the decades that, uh, that have happened since uh, the original S.H.I.E.L.D., but yeah, it is Howard Stark that introduces Nick Fury with all the gadgets to S.H.I.E.L.D. Excellent, so, yeah. I just thought it was quite an interesting little point. Yeah, so uh, Derek, what's uh, your second point? My second point is actually a bit of intrigue from this episode, but a huge bit of intrigue, really. It's the Battle of Finnau. Um, I'm really intrigued by this story that essentially is being built up over the last couple of episodes with um, with people just dropping a mention of the Battle of Finnau. We tend to be following Peggy Carter and what she's what's happening with her and her investigation to clear uh, Howard Stark. But the investigation that's going on in the SSR has now made a, quite a big turn, essentially. Both of the... The Russians that uh, died in the first episode, second episode. Um, both yeah, Lee Brennis. That's right. Lee Brennis. Um, and obviously the man in the green suit, the quiet men with their voice box taken out. Um, both of them alive, well, operating in uh, New York after World War Two, But their records show that they both died at the Battle of Finnau. Yeah. Um, you have the, one of the generals that was the... Um, has has retired and has has been indicted as well previously um and all this um there's something going on in russia that is building and developing and um, obviously something to do with leviathan maybe mm-hmm. there's the the typewriter and you've got agent thompson and you've got um chief Dooley going you know is it a long-range communication device to uh, you know can it reach russia yeah so there's obviously a cold war flavor coming in here uh, as well um and yeah this, this was one of my points as well was the intrigue that's been generated from the battle of Finland. so i shall also hook into yeah. your second point um and i love this whole um, move of Chief Dooley, who heads across to um, Germany to visit uh, a former Nazi colonel, Colonel Muller, mm-hmm. um, in um, in a prison cell in, in Berlin. And it's just really, really good. You start to learn a lot more that he says, I've killed many people, um, but when we arrived there, all the Russians were dead yeah. before we got there. Torn apart. It wasn't even a few of them. He said all of them. Yeah. And then it builds in then to even more intrigue and the plot really thickens for Howard Stark, which is um, there is a, a, a record of Americans arriving at Finnau two or three days after the, um, the, the battle, in inverted commas, and on that inventory, on that list of people, is Howard Stark. Um, and this just again, just adds more to the plot of what's the Battle of Finnau, what actually happened there, why was Howard Stark there? Obviously, again, is it something tech-orientated, or how does that kind of play out? Mm -hmm. And I think, um, again, it just makes that... The whole reason why Howard Stark has come back, it does actually, in hindsight to me, it makes it um, more obvious that he was trying to hide something from... Peggy Carter, uh, and that his intentions on why he came back at such a critical moment, you know, you've got the SSR are really gunning for him now after the loss of Krasminski. Absolutely. But he's coming back, and he's coming back to get one of his weapons, which he could have just told them to um, get and bring back and take out of the SSR laboratories without the need for him to be there. Mm -hmm. But this sphere... This blitzkrieg 
button obviously um is is something different but you know again then but the battle of finnow is just more and more uh, arrows pointing towards Howard Stark on yeah. the investigation by the SSR. Well, absolutely. Well, exactly, exactly to the point. Essentially, when Chief Dooley goes to Germany and meets Colonel Muller, I love the exchange between the two of them because you finally get some details about the Battle of Finnau. And the first detail you get is there was no Battle of Finnau. There's no battle at all. It was a massacre, is essentially what Colonel Muller tells uh, Chief Dooley, I'm very close to calling him Muller Rice um, here, so <laughs> I'm wondering if his descendants may have had something to do with yogurt at all. Um, but essentially, he tells uh, he tells Dooley that there was no Battle of Finnau; it was a massacre. Whoever attacked them was long gone by the time they arrived, and no person died at the at German hands at yeah. Finnau, uh, which is very interesting, I think. Yeah, and he says the bodies were piled high and ripped apart. I mean, gruesome sounding stuff, really. Absolutely, I'm sure we're going to learn a lot more about this as the as the episodes go on but that's definitely one of my points is just that the the um intrigue that that finnow now has caused in the show really really good idea really really good, and, good story line. and i love the little deal that Dooley offers muller which is the cyanide pill mm. which ultimately uh, turns out to be a breath mint yeah like it's a nice <laughs> little sort of light touch i thought um you know for a show that is seen to be showing a, a cyanide pill exchanging hands that in fact it's a breath mint. Yes. Now you say a light touch, I don't know. I think it shows that Dooley is actually would never give a way out to a mass murderer like uh, like Muller. He's essentially saying to him, I'll do this for you so you can have an easy death and you won't have to die by a noose. He gives him the cyanide pill and then leaves. So this guy thinks he's got a way of killing himself without without being hanged, but he doesn't. So Dooley's actually sending him off to the gallows anyway. Which I think is with quite fresh breath. Yeah, with fresh breath, exactly. Um, John, what's your next point? Uh, my next point is um, the exchange between um, Peggy and Thompson, mm. um, and oh. it's it's an exchange I think that kind of reflects back to the exchange last week between Jarvis and, and Peggy, where he says that you have to clear Howard's name from the shadows. You can't just walk in and. Um, tell them it's not Howard they will it will implicate you and you know you will be drawn into this and it's kind of um Jarvis was kind of saying whilst I don't agree with the world this is how the world is and they won't trust you as a woman and they won't necessarily respect that you have done this and they will just try to then embroil you and it will probably be an embroilment that is apparently you know you were flirting with him or you're, you know, one of his conquests. Yeah. Because that's how it is. And Thompson kind of has the same type of exchange with Peggy. And it's one of the things that I'm really enjoying uh, from this show is how they're weaving in a social commentary, I think, of that society at that time into the dialogue, into some of the uh, exchanges between characters. And, you know, Thompson's asking, you're hiding uh, from yourself. You know, he talks about the natural order and no matter how much you want it, um, it, it's not going to come true. It, It won't change. It doesn't make it change. You're always a woman. I mean, really harsh stuff. Absolutely. You're always a woman in a man's world. And it's it's kind of, you know, he's questioning her. Why are you here? You know, what is the thrill in taking the lunch menu every day? You know, he's underestimating her because for Thompson, he doesn't see that she can be an agent like him. Um, and that's a really sort of sad take on 
women in society, but that was prevalent at that time, and that's why it, it, it's been brought out here in these exchanges. And it, it really, it really grates and is really harsh for an audience of today mm-hmm. um, when you when you hear that. But it is kind of giving a, a a a truth that was apparent at that time, even though there were people fighting against it. And I think one of the other interesting things is that Thompson does say that whilst he may or may not really care about it, he's kind of ambivalent. And in some exactly. ways, that is the the issue: is that he could be up there banging the drum for Peggy, giving her cases rather than a sandwich order, but is ambivalent and stands back and doesn't put his, in a sense, his neck on the line. Not that he's risking much by supporting uh, a female and a woman in the workplace. I really liked that, and I thought it echoed from a different perspective what Jarvis kind of was saying um, as a warning to her that this is how it would be viewed in the SSR by people like Agent Thompson. Um, And it's kind of almost showing that it, he was right, um, and he was right to warn Peggy in last week's episode. And I, I thought, however brutal it was, it was a great exchange. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree, definitely. And I, I definitely take the point about how Jarvis talked to her as well. But I suppose the great thing about how Jarvis talked to her was that he was just, he was giving her a friendly warning that mm-hmm. so that she didn't lose the power of what she'd found. Absolutely. Which is great. And he was doing it from a, from a point of view of, oh, I care for you, obviously, my wife is in a similar situation to the way you are. I obviously treat women with respect. The big difference between Chad Michael Murray's Thompson character is that what his his opinions are abhorrent. They're absolutely, he says, no man will ever consider you equal, meaning including myself, essentially, yeah. uh, which is a horrible, um, horrible truth, I suppose, to present to Agent Carter. Again, we, speak, we spoke about it before in the last couple of episodes. She had reached such a high level in the army before going back to the four, to 40s America, where she's now treated just like somebody that should be cleaning, cleaning the room. But I do have one question for the listeners out there. Anybody, please send us in feedback to feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com to tell me, why does he keep calling her Marge every time he's asking her yeah. to get the lunch order? <laughs> That's true, actually. Is, is a Marge, is this, is this supposed to mean something that we just don't understand because of the passage of time? Um, I'd love to know. So uh, so I couldn't find anything on the internet after uh, after looking it up. Again, I'm trying not to spoil future episodes. So if I if, if there's something there that I uh, I didn't find because there was spoilers for future episodes, maybe that's it. But if you want to send, in, send us in your answers as to why Peggy is called Marge, because he clearly knows who she is. He clearly knows her name, so... I don't know. Um, send them into feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. But Derek, what's your next point then? Um, my one is about the other kind of speech, I suppose, in the episode. It's uh, it's Agent Souza. Um, once again, we're seeing seeing kind of the world from his viewpoint as well. Um, he takes into custody a, a, a bum who obviously has come back from war, uh, and the two of them sit and, and have a discussion, much essentially kind of forcing the bum to listen to uh, to Sousa's thoughts, I suppose. Um, but I love the I love the way that the scene is described by Sousa when he arrived home wearing his wearing his dress greens um, and walked into a cafe essentially. And as he walked in, people stood up and clapped for him. Um, he thought originally it was because he was a GI returning from war, and everybody had this opinion about all GIs. But then realized that actually the reason why people were clapping for him was because he's an injured GI. Um, I think this is such a, a, a great way to put across the point that you know he's get he's only getting the respect of people because of his injury. It's not for him. It's because they felt sorry for him and they want to make themselves feel better. So this is what 
Sousa has to put up with every single day. He does get the question from Thompson later on in the episode as well. Where did you get the leg from? Um, it looks like this is a conversation he's going to have for the rest of his life just because he carries that crutch, you know? Um, but we do see him use it to really good effect during the episode. We see him using the crutch to take out uh, someone that's attacking him, the, um, the the bum who originally tries to punch yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, takes him out, knocks him to the ground. Um, but I think it's a, also a great moment because you have this exchange and you're hoping that the bum is going to give up the information, but he doesn't. Thompson's the one that gets the information out of him by again doing a very, a very Agent Thompson thing where he comes in, treats the bum exactly like he expects him to be, gives him a bottle of bourbon and a burger, and uh, and he gets all the information he needs out of him. He didn't need the discussion or the talk that Sousa was trying to give him. Uh, he needed just a bottle of bourbon. Yeah, it's almost as though Thompson views uh, Agent Sousa's interview as his own therapy and he sees him I think almost even weaker for it yeah. um, I think you know he comes in after the the first round of um, cross-examination and he's you know clap 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 you know um, that was that was a great speech yeah um, like and then he obviously undermines what Sousa is trying to do in terms of his technique by just essentially going straight um, for the shortest route again it's is an ambivalence towards people and um, and and maybe he gives them what they want rather than maybe saying to them, you shouldn't be drinking bourbon yeah. um, because you're a drunk and you're homeless. And maybe save the money or whatever. But he, he, cr- he comes back at Sousa to say that not everyone came back from the war wanting a hug. Like it's <laughs> very much of a detachedness. Uh, about Agent Thompson, and I think that's why he goes for the bourbon and burger approach um, of let's just get this information and that's that. Um, I don't throw need to spend yeah, yeah. throwing back out on the streets. That ambivalence towards his predicament, yeah. his ambivalence towards Agent Carter's predicament, and his kind of at odds view of the worlds um, that he has versus what Sousa. Um, has, I yeah, think. yeah. It looks like Sousa's trying to save the world. Sousa seems to be much more of a heroic character than Thompson. Thompson is a great investigator. There's absolutely no doubt about that, and great at his job. He's just a bit of a douche, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but I'm really liking the performance. Chad Michael Murray, I think, is doing a great job. Absolutely, really enjoying it. It's a great counterpoint, actually, because actually his counterpoint is the counterpoint of that time. Yeah. Um, it, it's very. Um, it's very much of that moment and of that time. And it'll be interesting to see if we, there's any exploration as to why he does actually have those views, whether there's anything in his past. He's obviously probably been um, in war as well. And whether mm-hmm. anything there um, has affected him so that he is like that. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what his background is, if that comes out, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was my point, John. What's your next point? My next point is, again, another exchange, this time between Howard and Peggy. Um, And again, it's another kind of commentary on on society. And and it's coming from Howard this time. I think in this episode, we do get a feel more for Howard Stark. As you say, you know, child in in the sweet shop in relation to him walking into the Griffith. Uh Um, You hear him talk about Mr. Mink, where he says he's greedy uh, and a predictable black market smuggler. I like the fact that he's predictable and the quality of being greedy. He likes money. I can attest to that. And he, once Peggy finds out that the Blitzkrieg button is not 
um, this light switch. I think she calls it a glorified light switch. Yeah. You know, turn off the East Coast. When she finds out that it's not that, and they start to have that conversation because it ends up being um, a vial of Steve Rogers' blood. Mm. I like the fact that Howard justifies why he is the person he is. You know, that he's born on the Upper East Side and for him to move up the ranks of society, not the army, but a different for you know, the social um, ranks, for him to move up uh, from a boy born on the Upper East Side with um, parents who were just sort of low-level kind of like... Um, sellers are what you know whether they owned a shop we, we don't know but he he says his natural tendency is to lie because he has to make money because actually for people like him to get where he is he's had to lie in order for people to accept him in those operations it's that social movement of men within that that period and yeah. um, moving from a working class background into someone who is at the height of his influence in government and in the world of business and he's had to lie he's had to be greedy um, and he's had to do that to get um, up the run of on the ladder and I, I love that you know even for him there is a ceiling and that ceiling was money and he had to lie to get past it and yeah. to build his fortune and to build his wealth I think that's a really nice thing to hone in on as well. Not just Peggy's predicament as a woman in that society, but actually someone coming from a working class background and building up to be a highly successful person. Obviously, before he's considered a traitor that he's selling his weapons tech to, to the Russians, but that what he's had to do to get where he is. Mm. That I really liked. And, of course, Peggy is still, in a sense, feeling hugely betrayed by him at this moment. And rightly so. And I think, yes, you're right, Howard does make some great points, but Peggy is certainly not listening to him during that conversation at all. I think she starts out saying, uh, you don't get to use my reaction to your lies as the reason for your lies. You know, Absolutely. Which I think is, I think is a great little moment. Um, don't get me wrong, Howard is still a douche here yeah. uh, because he's essentially lied to, to Peggy. Yeah. But he does say, my instinct is to lie, but I shouldn't have lied to you. And that's a very specific distinction that Tara's trying to say. He does say, my instinct is this way. This is how I was brought up. This is how I made the money that I made. But I shouldn't have lied to you because I trust you implicitly, essentially. Now, what he's done in keeping the in keeping Steve Rogers' blood from for himself, essentially, is the other thing that really twists Peggy against him. Um, she says to him that I think you're a man looking out for yourself. This is something that you were keeping that vial of blood to make money for your business. You weren't doing it for the betterment of the world. Uh, I think you were doing it just to just to make money for Stark Industries, essentially, um, which is really interesting. And again, the great moment for Peggy in this episode where she says to him, "Thank you for reminding me who I am and of my pledge that I was trying that I was doing it for the betterment of society, just like Steve Rogers. I'm just not as strong as he was." But thank you for reminding me that that was my pledge not to run around for you to protect your your business. And Corporate interests, exactly. 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 Um, no, absolutely. That that difference between Howard doing it for money, doing it for his business, um, and Steve Rogers, Captain America, who's whose goal is um, for more pure reasons, I suppose, you know, to help and protect the innocent, not just to feather his, his own uh, nest in yeah. that sense. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, she really makes it clear that I need to get the stink out of uh, the apartments, you know, 
kind of leave, get out, uh, yeah. and don't come back. But I do like the fact that I think we had mentioned previously that you know Jarvis had obviously been on the phone to Howard Stark, and there, were, there was some notion that they were um, not telling her the whole truth. And I think Jarvis, um, you know, there's a moment between Jarvis and Howard afterwards, uh, after he's kind of been told to leave the apartment by, by Peggy, where Jarvis goes that he's built up calluses uh, lying for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he talks to Howard Stark, but in this case, he goes, "You've taken her for granted," and yeah. you know whether that will be repaired, it will have to see um, over the course of the the remaining episodes. But it is a really big sort of fracture in that alliance, yeah. definitely. Yeah, absolutely. So, Derek, what's your next point? Um, my next point is actually just about the uh, <laughs> hmm, Jarvis's tell. Uh, is my is, is how I'm titled to <laughs> my next point. Um, I really do like this episode. Really enjoyed it, and I understand in TV you got to do a bit of shorthand. Um, but the tell of Jarvis rubbing his ear um, is a little over the top. I thought. Um, essentially, every time he lies, he's supposed to rub his ear. I'm interested to see if this is going to play out in the other four episodes that we have. That if Jarvis is telling a lie at all, that he ru- he has to rub his ear now. Did he do it in the first three episodes? I don't know. But he definitely did it in the first scene that we see Jarvis when he's asked for the extra fifty thousand dollars by the uh, by Minx's men. Um, he reach, reaches down for the case, turns on the uh, the little um, the little smoke gas that knocks them out, and says, "I have got that money for you in the case," and rubs his ear, and it's really noticeable. Later on in the episode, obviously, that's how Peggy Carter finds out that he's lying to her, is that he's rubbing uh, rubbing his ear again. So I just thought the tell was just a little bit too, a little bit over the top, do you think? I think it was very obvious, but, yeah, um, yeah I mean, I I wouldn't know how else he would do it, whether he would, you know, rub his nose or, you know, run his hand through his hair. I mean, it, it is one of those things that maybe is difficult to, to do. If you do it too subtly, yeah. um, then everyone misses it. Um, so... Yeah, I know what you're saying. It was very blatant to the audience. And, yeah. I mean, it is the thing that essentially gets Peggy thinking that, that you know, not all is what it seems. But um, at the same time, if if you try to be too clever and too subtle about it, then the audience doesn't see it. So I, I don't know how you would necessarily have done it, unless maybe the subtlety is doing it uh, in earlier episodes exactly. rather than the start of the episode. Yeah, that's what, that's what I'm hoping. I'm wondering if... You know, we go back and look at the other episodes. Will there be moments where he's rubbed his ear and we didn't notice, for example? Uh, will we see it in, the, in later episodes where he may have to lie again? Will he will he rub his, uh, rub his ear? But, for example, it seems such a big move that he would definitely would have done that while he was being interviewed in the in the SSR by Thompson in last week's episode. And I didn't notice that at all. So I'm interested. I'm, I'm interested to see. I have to look back yeah. at those, actually, Yeah, I think, on, on the DVR recorder just mm-hmm. to... Just to make sure and see whether he was doing that, but that's that's a good point. So yeah, yeah we should definitely have a look over those uh, and come back to them. Yeah. yeah. So Derek, um, do you have any notes on on the episode? Yeah, a couple of little notes. I like the moment when Jarvis and Peggy are bringing Harry back to uh, back to his residence. The moment where he says, "Are you two getting along?" and he says, "Do you know Peggy does 107 push-ups um, a day?" Uh, <laughs> To, to Jarvis, one-handed push-ups, isn't it? And then he says, "And do you know Jarvis's um, 
souffle is amazing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That's really good. But it's the moment when you realize that, again, Peggy is a great agent because she she notices immediately that Agent Yauch and Agent Henry are both sitting outside Howard's residence. She's looking around the whole time, and that's why we know that he can't go back to his house, essentially. Yeah. And he has to go and stay in the Griffith. Uh, Agent Yauch is named after, I think, one of the Beastie Boys. Um, one of the Adam Yauch is one of the uh, one of the Beastie Boys. Um, so I believe that's where the name came from for his character. Um, that's my first little note. Very like good, very good. And of course, he's smuggled in the dumb waiter, which is a nice little touch. Yes. I think, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another one, obviously, the big one. Didn't put it in my, in my points for this episode. It is just a big note. Obviously, we have Stan Lee cameo for it this we season. We do. Yeah. Getting his shoes polished. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, ask him for the sports section absolutely. from Howard. So he ha- he actually has a moment with Howard Stark, which I thought was really nice. Uh, a little better than the cameo he did in Agents of Shield, um, and the cameo that he did in Daredevil was just a uh, just a photograph on the wall. So um, yeah, yeah. So at least we get a speaking moment for uh, for Stanley. Uh, still wondering how all these cameos that he does are tying together. Uh, he seems to be about six hundred different characters at this stage. You know. Yeah, no, it's it's great though. It's a great little nugget in in the films. I think. Yeah, um, and and now obviously with the TV as well. Yeah, absolutely. And then obviously the final note bit we didn't mention is that the typewriter has started to tapa 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 just as the Leviathan is. Awakened, yes, absolutely. Contacting Dooley, so really looking forward to seeing that next week. Uh, John, do you have any notes about the episode? No, I think you've pinched all my notes that I had. <laughs> I mean, as I say, I think really the only other quick one was that I like the fact that Peggy gets off a punch um, against Howard oh, Stark yeah. after his kind of betrayal, and not just his betrayal, um, uh, for lying to her about what the Blitzkrieg button does, but also just the fact that it is such a significant part of her past. You know, it's a, it's a little bit, even though it's only blood, it's a little bit of Steve Rogers. And the fact that she protects that then in her own apartment as she chisels out the wall and places it, recesses it into the wall, hangs the painting over it. But I love the fact that she gets off uh, a deserved punch to the face um, for... For Howard Stark. Oh, absolutely. That looked like a, a properly hurt, definitely, as well. I wonder if the two actors actually get on very well at all, Hayley Atwell and Dominic Cooper, because that's some punch, and it looks like she really connected with them. So, yeah. uh, but, uh, but I'm sure they do. But it's not real, Derek. That's true. It's just acting. It's acting. <laughs> They're reading lines, remembering them. That's and true. being told where to stand, as uh, <laughs> as famously told by Ian McKellen mm-hmm. in um, Extras, the the wonderful uh, British sitcom show um, about extras in, in film and yes. TV uh, roles. Uh, <laughs> yeah, really good. Uh, Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant, obviously yes. made famous by The Office. Um, but yeah, a really big massive punch landed um, onto Howard Stark's face. Great. Um, You know, she knows how to handle herself, this woman. Absolutely. Uh, But on that note, John, do you defend this episode of Agent Carter? I do. I do defend um, this episode. I would give it three and a half Dottie Underwoods out of five. Um, I don't think it's necessarily been as strong as some of the others for me as a whole. I would still defend it because actually... Um, on rewatching it, more and more things leapt out. I mean, I love this move into the Battle of Finnau, into sort of Nazi Germany, mm. and, and you know, Dooley actually going to Germany to investigate the battle. 
and the, just the fact that Howard Stark is back and I think some more sort of expose and character development of Howard Stark. Because obviously in the films, Dominic Cooper has only had relatively small parts to play and this yeah. is really nice for him, I think. And so the more I thought about it, the more... Um, I actually like I liked it more, but I still think maybe it's a slight transitional um, element uh, to this episode, moving from sort of uh, the the death of uh, Krasminsky and that investigation, and moving now maybe more into a Russian Cold War type of element, and still obviously hunting down Howard Stark as the primary focus. But mm. I, I feel there's a slight shift in in where this is going to go. So there was an element of it that was felt transitionary, but then I also loved um, uh, just the exchanges and those exchanges that ultimately are a commentary on the society of that time and those ones between Thompson and Peggy and Howard and Peggy and even between Thompson and and Agent Sousa. Yeah. So I actually like this more on on my second rewatch, definitely. Um, but I do defend this episode um, and I would give it 3.5 dotties out of 5. Derek, do you defend this episode? I do, but I definitely wouldn't want to see five Dottie Underwoods. My gosh. <laughs> she could take out <laughs> the an clones. Like that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yes, fantastic episode. I'm, I'm really liking the connections. And I think, as you say, one of the big things about this episode is some more depth for Howard Stark. Really, for better or worse, Howard Stark kind of gets his reputation and gets a lot of the love for the character from Tony Stark, from the portrayal of uh, of Tony Stark by Robert Downey Jr. Uh, he does a great job of of just you know playing that quite easily um, and playing it off quite easily in the Captain America the uh, First Avenger. But he does a great job here of just embodying that character really well, and we get to see a lot a lot of interesting sides for Howard Stark. Um, and obviously the fact that you know he has a way of justifying to himself why he's a womanizer, why he's a cheat, why he's a liar. Um, he justifies it to himself, just like any good character in TV or movie history. They know exactly why their character is the nicest character in the world and why what they're doing is right. And they've they've done a really good job here. Having our Stan Lee cameo is fantastic for the show. Absolutely loved that as well. Yeah. Really good little highlight um, of any Marvel show, whether big screen or small, I reckon. Yeah, and one huge thing for me this episode, obviously, is having the Mink character introduced, um, chasing down Peggy Carter, having a great plan to get into her... Uh, her hotel, or into the Griffith, I suppose, uh, getting up to her room and then being taken out instantly by Tati Underwood, which is a great thing to happen in any show because you're not expecting it at all. You think he's going to be the big bad for the series and he's gone Absolutely. in one fell whip of the legs. Uh, fantastic. Really good stuff in this episode. Really enjoyed it. But I'm really looking forward to next week's episode. You I know you are. Time? I do. I think there's, um, there's a howl. Howling Commandos. <laughs> They're different in. guys. The Howling Commandos are different guys. They've got a werewolf in their team. But yes, Nick Fury's <laughs> uh, partners from, or Sergeant Fury's partners from World War II. Yeah. The Howling Commandos, including Dum Dum Duggan. He is Duggan, he's not Dugan, because it's a U, right? Um, and the rest of the Howling Commandos are going to be on next week. I can't wait to see. Yeah, what that is going to be really good fun, I reckon. Yeah, I to see the Howling Commandos back, definitely. Absolutely, yeah, really looking forward to that. And of course, it's just for us to say thank you again so much for listening. We'll be back um, in our next episode for the fantastic 24th episode mm -hmm. of Defenders TV podcast, where we will be discussing, chatting, reviewing the Fantastic Four movie, the reboot of this um, old Marvel property. Mm -hmm. um, one of the first, one of the first uh, groupings of 
fantastic people doing fantastic things yeah. in a fantastic world. And yeah. um, so it'll be really interesting. And then, of course, we will be back after that with our next episode, which we'll be looking at episode five of Agent Carter. And um, lining up the numbers quite well with Fantastic 24 and Agent Carter episode five. Our episode 25, with, well, I know the numbers very well. Exactly. And uh, hopefully, hopefully, we're going to cross our fingers. Uh, Irene and Chris are going to be joining us again, the full Defenders team coming back together for the Fantastic Four. Uh, this is the fourth iteration of the Fantastic Four now. We've had, uh, had three previous films. We had um, a... One you can see on YouTube, um, which was made by Roger Corman. Uh, really terrible, no special <laughs> effects, just basically to keep the rights away from Marvel. Uh, and we've had two Fantastic Four films starring Chris Evans, uh, who is obviously Captain America. Exactly. And now we have the reboot uh, starring Rooney Mara as, uh, as Invisible Girl. Um, looking forward to seeing that. And you'll be able to catch that on www.defenderstvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes or search Defenders TV Podcast in any other good podcast catcher, such as Stitcher or Player FM. If you see the movie between now and next Saturday, the 8th of August, send in your thoughts. What did you think of the movie? Um, did you like it? Did you enjoy it? Did it live up to any of the hype or maybe the the issues that are circulating around the film? Um, you know, Please let us know. Send in your thoughts at feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com and we'll be happy to bring those up and discuss them in our Fantastic 24th episode. Yes, and if you're not going to Fantastic Four, if you're not going to see it, we've heard a couple of people say that they aren't interested in seeing it at all, let us know why. Uh, we'd love to talk about some of the reasons why people aren't going to see this film when obviously the Marvel films are pretty huge. So, um Anyway, come check out our episode. We'll be out, out next week and we'll be back with Agent Carter and the Howling Commandos saying wahoo next week. Wahoo. Thank you so much for listening. Yep, shut up English. You talk too much. Bye. <laughs>